How's it going? And welcome to episode 105 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. If you follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod, you can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hastings at Hastings Kevin. That's the only way you're going to be able to talk to Kevin today, though. Kevin is celebrating. I don't know if he's celebrating his birthday per se. It is his birthday. Happy birthday, Kevin. But he is out. He lives in Hawaii, so every day is his birthday. I'll just <laughs> get that out of the way. I believe he might be scuba diving or doing something extremely fun in Hawaii. So happy birthday. Make sure you shoot him out that on the Twitter as well. We do still have a great show. We're going to be breaking down our, or going to continue our preview episodes where we preview our five by five categories. Today, we're going to be focusing on our pitching ratios, ERA and whip. And we'll get into the weeds in that. And luckily I have a, a backup Kev, if you will, with our special guest, Kev Maserijan. Hopefully I've been practicing that. I hopefully I didn't butcher that too much, Kev. But I, you guys should be following him on the Twitter at Rotosurgeon. You probably already are. You can also listen to Kev on his own podcast, the Operating Room Podcast, as well. Make sure you're tuning into that as well. With today, we're going to be talking about those pitching ratios, Kev. And thanks so much for jumping in with me. And I'm looking forward to chatting. But how, how you doing? I'm doing great. You actually did a you did a good job on my last name. It wasn't a hundred percent, but it was as close as I can ask. It's so, spring training. Uh, yeah, no, Adam, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you for I would have loved to talk to the other Kev. It's his birthday. <laughs> Your birthday, you can do whatever you want. No complaints on this end. Happy birthday to him. Hopefully he's enjoying Hawaii. I didn't even know he lived in Hawaii, so shout out to him for that. Yeah, he moved back. Like unfortunately, he had to come back here at one point to the mainland. Luckily enough, as he, I think he mentioned in the last episode of the episode before, it's not even his fault that he got to move back to Hawaii. It's his wife's uh, fault. He got a job offer. Congratulations, the cats. It's always the wife's. It's always the wife's fault. I've followed my wife to d- multiple places across the country, and it's not usually my choice. So there I totally go. get it. Um, all right, but we're gonna we're gonna get right into it. We got a bunch of news, and it's just you and me, so we'll we'll get right into. Geez, it seems like this happens every week, though. We go through all our news, and then on Sunday, as the episode as our episode drops, five more things drop. And this happened, I think, on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. A lot of stuff came across the desk. First and foremost, one of the worst ones. We'll get it out of the way first. Gavin Lux looks like he's going to be missing the entire season with a torn ACL. Basically, been ruled out by Dave Roberts for the 2023 season. Talk to me about what you what expectations you have for the up the middle infield for the Dodgers. Do you expect the two Miguel's Vargas at second base, Rojas at shortstop to pretty much man that almost all season? Or are you eyeing anybody internally or do you expect the Dodgers to make a move? I expect them by like the trade deadline to make a move. But for now, I think they're going to be content with the roster as is like it. It looks pretty bad on the surface when you look at the bottom half of the order, but they always figure it out. Vargas, he has the hairline fracture in his, I think, pinky or finger somewhere. So he's dealing with that. He hasn't really been taking swings. Rojas, he hasn't, he hasn't swung one time. Nope. He's <laughs> he still, walked, he still he's walked, walked a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, Rojas is not very good, but he's capable he's a solid defender so he'll see playing time i expect chris taylor to be like playing borderline full-time within the first few weeks i think he's going to be an integral piece in the dodgers so he's the internal option that's going to take over as the guy basically up the middle where i don't know what's gonna happen with vargas i assume he'll play a good enough amount of time rojas like 60 to 70 percent of 
playing time will go to him. But overall, it's going to be Chris Taylor, I think, that benefits the most of this. And I expect a bounce back from him, given that he didn't have elbow surgery this offseason. Yeah, I like this for Chris Taylor a lot as well. Not that it was in question, but I also like it for Max Muncy, knowing that he's not going to sit once or twice a week as he might have done last year, especially while he was nursing his injury. Yeah, I told somebody on Twitter the other day, yeah, I don't, I'm with you. If they make a move, they make a move for a big name at the deadline. They're not making, I think they traded for Miguel Rojas. He's their shortstop. And as simple as that. And I think that he, he's a viable volume play if if he's on your wire and you need somebody in the middle infield to who has a four game half week to start the week, somebody to consider in that room. But not going to be dressed. Still, even in that lineup, as you mentioned, it's a little top heavy. Not exactly the what we were scared of last year, where you always wanted to say, hey, if I get a piece of the Dodgers lineup in my lineup, my fancy lineup, I'm happy. It doesn't feel that way going into 2023. They should still be very good. It's oh, This yeah, is a sure. top five offense. You have two future Hall of Famers at the top. So even though it's top heavy, it's like it, it's top heavy in a way that it's like, manageable whatever happens in the bottom three or four of the order like trace thompson oddly enough like i know a lot of people don't like trace just because he's like clay thompson's brother he feels a nepo baby and whatnot <laughs> just because of michael thompson's son but i think he was like top five in x woe bacon last year like he it was like him aaron judge and yordan Rez were top of the charts he's he was ahead of mike trout on contact so if he somehow puts it together the dodgers have just another miracle on Absolutely. their hands, but overall, it doesn't even matter if that happens because Betts, Will Smith, Freddie Freeman, Muncie, if he's healthy, JD Martinez, who people don't really talk about, the Dodgers added like a 130 weighted runs created a bat in the offseason for like 10 mil. They're going to be fine. I'm not worried. Like Ro- Miguel Rojas, I'm just not interested in. He's not going to play enough A and he's just not good. And yeah, <laughs> that's t- usually the part that matters. That's, that's the big, yeah, it matters more that he's not good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Chris Taylor is the guy I'm interested in. It sucks because I was really excited for Lux's season. I was expecting like a 15-15-290 average kind of season with really good counting stats. But Especially after that photo of those arms rolling yeah, around. Like, I mean. Those photoshopped <laughs> arms that I put out. People <laughs> love you. You're the tinfoil hat too, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I was playing around. I was having a good time with that one. But overall, even if Lux didn't look like a WWE wrestler, he is still... Bound to be better as he, I think he's like 24, 25. Like, oh, yeah. He's still really young. And hopefully, this leg injury or this knee injury doesn't affect him moving forward. Yeah. This is, it puts in a situation where if you're in a startup keeper league, this is a last round pick. That's a nice little stash. Yeah. He comes back 100% in 2024. All right. Let's, let's move to the other Californian team that is going to be missing one of their stars for at least the first couple of weeks of the season. Joe Musgrove of San Diego. He fractured his foot in the gym. Apparently, maybe dropped a weight on his toe, fractured one of his big toes. He should be out for a while with Bob Melvin saying he expected Musgrove to refrain from throwing altogether for at least a couple of weeks. And who's to say how long it'll take him to ramp up after that. Kev, with leagues that you have an IL, so we're not talking about NFBC where there's no IL spots here, but Yahoo League, your CBS leagues, wherever, you have an IL spot. Does this matter? Does Are you still drafting Musgrove as a potential ace for more than the second half of the season, assuming he comes back and stashing him on your IL? Or is the amount of time questionable that he's going to be missing not worth, like you still need a discount in your drafts? He's okay. The report is he's missing at least two regular season starts. And 
it's his big toe apparently it's not his foot that he fractured so i don't know if that makes it better and i already wasn't really drafting him as an ace i'm i wasn't super in on musgrove this year he's good i liked him last year k rate went down walk rate went down which is decent but at the same time i didn't expect him to return value on investments maybe that was like his ceiling if anything but yeah, knowing that there's missed time, knowing that a big toe injury, like I don't know what to make of that. I have no idea if this is going to linger or not. And if it does linger, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just mm-hmm. not drafting Joe Musgrove. And I mean, there is obviously a price in which he'd be appealing, but I was in a recent draft and I think he went around pick 150-ish, which he was a top 80 pick at first. Decent dip, but at the same time, if I could take a Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, guys just going in that 150-ish range. I'd rather just take them knowing that they're healthy to start the season. I'd rather not deal with... I'd rather know that I'm getting them on opening day or opening week. Luis Garcia, what's the difference between Luis Garcia and Joe Musgrove? Really not much at full strength already. So give me the healthy guys. Yeah, that's fair. I think that... I think it's pretty obvious that if you do have IL spots and you like Joe Musgrove, you still probably need to get some kind of a discount. Like you said, if he's going in the 80 range, you need to get into triple digits. Let him drop a round or two before you stash him. But it is nice to know that you can stash a guy like this. And like you said, it's his big toe. I'm not sure if it's his landing toe or if it's push off. Either way, it will affect. Like as long as it heals well, I mean, he should be fine, but it will affect the way. That's why he can't throw. He doesn't throw with his toe. How come he can't throw? I mean, it's still going to affect the way he pitches and you have to keep an eye on how he's progressing and whether or not you actually want to pull him off your IL for that first start. As Nick Pollock calls it, the still, is it going to be a still ill? Are you going to want to wait and see how he actually performs in game time? Cause he's going to miss all of spring training as well. So he's going to have, he's going to have to have time to ramp up. Like you said, he's going to miss at least two starts in the regular season as he continues to ramp up through that. The other starting pitcher, as people were getting excited to see what he could come back from and do is Tyler Glasnow. He he was he was given, he was diagnosed with a grade two oblique strain. And just the word oblique obviously has a lot of people shaking in their boots in general as they tend to linger. That's the phrase you hear for everybody say. Do you have any the similar similar concerns about Glasnow's situation where he should be missing at least the next eight weeks is the report that I saw. Do you see him similar as Musgrove where give me the guy, you'd rather have the guy that's yeah, he's healthy now. Me personally, like I'm more scared of Glasnow, not only because he's going to miss even more time than Musgrove, but coming back from the oblique and coming back from his previous injuries as well, scare me even more. Me, me personally, I need a lot bigger of a discount here. What's your take on Glasnow's situation? I think he had an oblique in 2019. He suffered it around mid-May, he came back late September. So that was like a four-month absence for him, a more severe one. But knowing that he's had something like this in the past, knowing he has elbow issues, the he had TJ, obviously. Right. And given that he struggles to throw innings consistently, I'm pretty much fully out on Glaston. I was in on him prior to this because the upside was too tantalizing. I figured over the course of a full season, what was the difference between Jacob deGrom 40 picks earlier and a glass now who both in a vacuum, I'd expect what 90 to hundred innings. And with the discount, I expect similar performances because glass now is a terrific pitcher. He came back. He's now two years removed from TJ, but again, we have baked in missed time and, I just don't want to draft that regardless of if I have an IL or not, because think about, okay, six to eight weeks, that's leaking into the start of the season. He's not going to be back 
soonest probably until early May. A month of a baseball season is plenty of time for another injury to occur on your lineup. If you have only one IL spot or even two, they're probably going to be filled or they're going to have to be filled. And you have glass now sitting there. I don't want to deal with the headache of dead roster spots on my fantasy baseball roster, regardless of head to head leagues where, you know, you're playing for the fantasy playoffs. But no, I don't want the headache. I'm not drafting Tyler Glass now now. Yeah, this is the only value that I'm seeing out of Glass now is you hit it with a head to talking about head to head. If you're in a head to head league and you already drafted him, fine, whatever. Hold on to him, stash him on your IL if you've got him. And then literally right before he's about to come back from the IL, that's where his value will be the highest and try to sell him to a contender who thinks he will be available for their playoffs. Simple as that. I'm souring on Glass now at this point in dynasty leagues, never mind in redraft leagues, just because of all the reoccurring things that are happening, like you mentioned, the oblique coming back, the TJ that he's coming back from, it seems to be just something I'm not going to want to have to deal with for the foreseeable future. All right, of course, more injury news. This one, not as bad as the last two, so hopefully. Jose Leclerc, he apparently is dealing with enough neck tightness to keep him out of the World Baseball Classic. Besides him not pitching there, do you think, do you have any concerns about him possibly losing what seems to be his job at the end of games for the Rangers as their closer going into 2023 because of this injury concern? I wasn't sure if he was even set as the closer to start. He was the best bet. He was probably the top option. But at the same time, they're talking about like Jonathan Hernandez, so I don't think is good. Brock Burke could mix in. Joe Barlow, who's coming off injury, not that good. But overall, I don't know what to make of Leclerc. I wasn't really buying in. He's had his injury concerns in the past with his elbow and whatnot as well. Being two years removed now from TJ's or whatever he had. Was it a shoulder or his elbow? I don't even remember. I think it was TJ. Yeah, because it was a problem. He was walking everybody before it. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, he's going to have TJ. Oh, that explains a little bit of that. He's definitely talented, but he's had one good season in the major leagues and that was 2018. He was fantastic. His career high is like 14 saves, walk monster in general. I just wasn't really drafting him anyway. I guess he's fine in leagues where, you know, in in non-DCs, draft and holds, where you could drop him later and he's going at a reasonable price. But next stiffness, his history of injuries. I guess the only good option is the Rangers really don't have better options, but... Yeah, Again, you took I'm the words really out of my right. mouth right there. That's really what it came down to. So that's like the that's his uh, most uh, like, that's the most sexually appealing aspect of Lozio <laughs> Kirk. Oh, the Rangers don't have better options, and I guess I I mean if there is a reasonable cost for the, your last pick in a draft, sure, why not? Yeah, but he's unfortunately like even with the injury, he's going before that that aspect that part of your draft comes, yeah. and so that's probably not not a choice you have to make. Yeah, this is the time where you want to. We want to talk about who do you speculate on if it's not him. And as you said, you don't at this point. I know a lot of people like Burke. I think Burke is probably better off in in that middle relief role, that multi inning role that they have him in. And then Jonathan Hernandez was given the opportunity, and he did not really perform when given the task. So one of those things where we'll see a couple of fab bids in the first couple of weeks of the season if it comes up just because saves are still saves and when you get more clarity you'll people are be willing to spend 
but probably not the dart that you want to be throwing at the end of drafts. It's the Rangers bullpen. All right, we'll stay with the Rangers, go into the rotation though. Nathan Ivaldi, he was reported having side tightness. He'll miss his second start of the spring that might have already passed by the time you're listening to this. But in his first start, he was impressive. He had elevated velocity, what we wanted to see. I believe he was sitting in the, the 95, 96 range instead of the 93, 94 range. So that was great. Everybody was talking about how his draft stock was going to go up after that start and now this. So I don't know where you stood on Ivaldi beforehand, but which one of these is impacting you more now? The fact that he did so well in his first start or the fact that he's dealing with supposed with side tightness going into his second, what would have been his second start? I weigh the side tightness more than anything because, yeah, it's great to see him pumping 98 to start. But at the same time, the issue with Ivaldi is being able to maintain that throughout a season. We're already seeing him dealing with these lingering, not lingering issues, but like, these issues appearing at immediately, like after his first two innings, was it an inning or two innings? He's had, he's another guy, history of injury issues. At his best, he's amazing, of course. Like, I think he has pedigree. He's been around. He had a bounce back these past four or five years. But yeah, it's as red a flag as you can get, honestly, when it's just immediately after he's dealing with an issue. And I get it. It's early March. It's only tightness. It's not the end of the world, but for him to be effective, he needs to be pumping that velocity in that 97, 98 range. If he's going 92, 93, I don't want Nathan Ivaldi. No. Yeah, that's that was the concern last year as well. And yeah, I'm with you. Ivaldi's the type of guy that we see this a lot. We're seeing this with Adam Rain right now. It's early on in the spring training. He's pumping 85, 86, but he's also 40 or so. Yeah. And so we expect that, right? We need to see somebody like Ivaldi, even though Ivaldi's still not a spring chicken anymore, you still want him you still want to know that he did everything he could in the offseason to get himself back up to where you want to see him from the get-go. You don't want to have to wait two or three weeks into spring training for to see that. All right, two more here, Kev. We got the Cubs. We touched on this last week, actually, but a little bit more has come out about Seiyu Suzuki. He was diagnosed with a, he officially diagnosed with a moderate oblique strain himself. What kind of impact is this having on you? Like outfield is, as everybody and their mother is saying, outfield is so thin. And I think in similar fashion, outfield is turned into starting pitching where we see starting pitching get pushed up in drafts later on in the season because these injuries pop up, right? And so the value of the non-injured starting pitching goes up in drafts. Outfield very well may be the same thing where we start seeing guys with a little bit more guaranteed playing time because other guys get hurt or guys like Suzuki get hurt and may miss some time. So what, wh- where do you land on Suzuki? Are you willing to stash him hoping that this kind of works itself out through spring training? Or is this an oblique? Do you just stay away from obliques because you're just, you want somebody who's healthy to start the season? Ideally, I want someone who's healthy to start the season. <laughs> but given the state of outfield right now, there is a there is depth, but it's hard to find to say a Suzuki. It was his first year in America last year. He had a solid season with the Cubs, un, like underwhelmed definitely relative to expectations. I expected a massive second year because some of these guys, Hideki Matsui, look at him, a guy who in his second year came and set the world on fire. He was fantastic. They do take time to develop the transition, language barrier, whatever it is. Yeah, so when they come over from Japan, Korea, wherever, I always give them a mulligan oh, yeah. year. And Suzuki was going to be that guy, and I was buying in prior to this. And there, there is a range where the 200-ish, 200-ish ADP, he was going 
110, 120, but now give them an 80 pick drop. I'm interested around like the Michael Confortos, the Jacques Petersons, where there's already flawed profiles of these hitters or injury concerns or whatever. Yes, you're buying into say Suzuki's current injury, but at the same time, the upside of 25, 15, 25, 20, you get out of Suzuki, even though the lineup's not that good. It's very appealing to me and a moderate oblique strain, probably six to eight weeks like Tyler Glass now, but I'm I'm not as afraid for a hitter as I am for a pitcher where, especially with a pitcher with elbow concerns throughout his career. So yeah. I'm willing to be open to say a Suzuki after 80 or 100 picks after his typical, his ADP to start the draft season. Yeah, and then that puts him in the same range as Masataka Yoshida, who, and your, your point, this is his first year coming over to the States. So it'd be interesting to see if that gap in ADP gets a little bit closer as we learn more about how Suzuki is progressing or not progressing through this new injury. All right, last one here, Kev. We have Brendan Rogers. He left Tuesday's spring training game with a dislocated shoulder. It had to actually be popped back into place on the field. Now, though, it appears that he may need surgery to repair it, and that could put his 2023 campaign in jeopardy entirely in the same vein as Gavin Lux. So I didn't really mean to bookend the news with these two terrible <laughs> injuries. It just happened to work out that way. What... We all know about <laughs> Rockies are going to Rocky, how they treat their young players or don't treat their young players or whatever. But what options do you see the Rockies having if Brennan Rogers is not an everyday, everyday fielder for them? I, I, the Rockies are screwed one way or another. So this is <laughs> that's on them. I look at it like, I guess this is the best news possible for the young Rockies, like Elias Montero, Ezekiel Tovar, who I wasn't really in on prior to this, but getting a middle infield spot open, I, and people were like, oh, Alan Trejo is going to take over. Alan Trejo is terrible, but he might, he still might play because they're stupid. But when you look at it, yes, I think Tovar is a viable option. He might not be up for the first week or two or until Super 2 is up, but once he's up, I think he's going to stick because Tovar has the skills to be a very valuable real life and fantasy piece. More so immediately, Elias Montero later in drafts. This is not for like home leagues. No one's actually going to draft Elias Montero or Harold Castro. But these are two guys that could definitely benefit immediately from Brandon Rogers' injury. Luckily, Brandon Rogers, not luckily, but he's had his injury. It's like a significant history between, I think, uh, his knee or back or whatever. His body has been in shambles for the last half decade. And he's been one of those prospects who... People have been waiting for his Byron Buxton second, like his resurgence or something where it never happened. And it's unfortunate because it just might never happen because this is another huge red flag on him. And I wasn't really in on him, but yeah, I guess Harold Castro, Elias Montero right now benefit. While Tovar, if you were drafting him in the near 380p range, you might really might get a big winner out of this. Yeah, Tovar will have to be held down pretty long in order to get that added benefit for the Rockies of extra playing time. There's also a possibility maybe the Rockies actually believe in Tovar and they start him on opening day. I believe he would be eligible. He would make the Rockies eligible for that compensation draft pick if he were to win NL Rookie of the Year. There's the, always that option. If he, As long as he's on the opening day roster, I believe he would have been on two of those three prospect lists that he has to be on, at least the top hundreds. So there's always that possibility as well. I've been personally seeing Tovar as this year's Jeremy Pena, the guy that you think they could very well just start off. The difference is Pena didn't actually have any experience 
going into last year and he still made the opening day roster and he was the starting shortstop. But there's the same boat where I'm seeing him go in drafts. He's going pretty much where Pena was going last year and it's in Colorado. The one thing going for you in Colorado this year, as Kevin points out all the time, is that in the NFBC, when with the lineup changes that you make on Fridays, you can actually you can manipulate your fantasy roster to only have Rocky hitters in your lineup while they're in Colorado. And you can bench them every single day that they're on the road. So you can get all the best of them and none of the worst of them. It's almost like playing in a best ball. So that's yeah. something to consider if you are looking at rock or if you find yourself having to draft a Rockies hitter, consider drafting a platoon, a fantasy platoon partner as well so that you can rise that a production. The big, my only contention with the Jeremy Pena comp is Pena was like 24 last year and Tovar is 21. So there's age that they could use as an excuse. This is like just the Rockies POV, just to play oh, devil's sure. advocate, because the Rockies do everything to suppress their young players, regardless of how talented they are, regardless of everything, because they're the Rockies. Yeah, so the age gap is huge. Getting the extra year, and they're not in win-now mode, so relative to the Astros, who they're like, oh, we need a good player. We don't have Carlos Correa. We need someone to play shortstop. Jeremy Pena makes sense. Plug and play him. Tovar... Yeah, he could help them. He could help the Rockies right now, but they have little to no incentive They're in the window. And, sure. Yeah, and banking on him winning AL rookie of the NL rookie of the year to get that comp pick, I don't think they're going to risk it. Like the odds just aren't really in their favor to make a decision like that and he doesn't they don't care about how many wins they have. They just care about cost control. Yeah, especially when you have Corbin Carroll out there as the, obviously the favorite in the NL mm-hmm. to win that award. Everybody assumes that everybody's playing for second in that scenario anyway. All right, that is enough news for now. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the episode that we talked about at the start of the show. I'm talking about how we're drafting our pitching ratios. And then we'll talk about a couple players that we'd be looking for at the end of a draft to help in the first week or two in those categories. But first, we're going to take a quick break. All right, we are back. You're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined today by rotosurgeon himself, Kev Maserajan. And we are going to continue to talk. We're going to start talking about what we came here to talk about, and that is how we're drafting our pitching ratios. Kev, talk to me about, give me an overarching philosophy that you might have about how you're, how do you focus on these ratios? I feel as though personally that especially WHIP but the ratios in general, they don't get they don't get thought about as much early on in a draft because you're assuming that the guy, the aces that you're drafting are going to help you in those categories. But how much of a focus are you looking at in those ratios early? And are you are, have you found ways to compensate later on in a draft or are you have you just let the you let it go out the window at the end of the draft? Just assuming anybody you get past round 15 is not going to help you in that area. I let the chips fall where they may with pitchers. I just draft the good ones and worry about the ratios later. (laughs) It's very hard to predict pitching ratios year by year because ERA is one of the most fluky stats Mm -hmm. in baseball. So my focus is get talented pitchers. If I get talented pitchers, I could possibly get a good ERA and whip. And if they get hurt, if they have a bad year because of some random home run luck, a terrible defense behind them, whatever it may be. Again, these there are so many factors that they go into it. Injury, anything can happen to a pitcher that affects their ratios. I bank on strikeouts, 
if you want to focus on wins, draft pitchers on good teams, I guess that's a good rule of thumb. Draft Dodgers, even though they nope. phantom rest them every now and then. Quality starts. The quality starts are probably easier. Quality starts in Ks. You just look at pitchers who typically go longer in games. Pitchers who have more six-plus inning outings. That's typically don't draft Andrew Heaney. But when it comes down to it, I draft Ks. If you draft Ks, you could typically draft good pitchers. That's how it goes. K-minus walk ratio is a very good way to indicate where the good pitchers are. XFIP, Sierra, all that good stuff. So my draft strategy is let the pitchers come to me. I'm not going to go after them one by one. I'll have pitchers I target. I'll have pitchers I fade. But overall, there's no one way to go about grabbing these ratios because it starts at drafting the good player and it ends on them not getting hurt and them not having terrible luck throughout the season. Yeah, I was going to get to this anyway, you touched on it. One of the things that I'm focusing on right now, especially early on, is, and we talked about it last week, because volume, the volume stats that we talked about last week, Ks and wins, they usually come from volume pitchers. But I think, especially the good pitchers, as you mentioned, yes, it's important to draft good players in general and good pitchers, but the guys who are going to get you 200 innings, which are far and few between now nowadays, they are going to have a bigger impact on those ratios. What they actually put up will make a bigger impact on your final stat line at the end of the season than any of the guys that you draft mid mid round, late rounds streamers, just because the volume, those are ratios. They make a bigger impact. The guy who puts up 600 at bats, has a bigger impact on your batting average than the guy who does 300 at-bats. That's what we talk about. If a catcher has a bad average, it's not good, but it's not hurting you as bad. Like that 220 average isn't hurting you as bad as the 220 average that's coming out of your outfield two spot. So something that I've been focusing on a lot is, yeah, those aces. If I'm going to draft pitchers early, and I assume, like you said, they're good, and they're going to help me in those ratios, I want to make sure that those good pitchers are going to go either long in games, especially in the head-to-head mm-hmm. league, or in a in a roto league. They've got to go at least the buck 70, buck 80 to make sure that those good ratios are going to help me as, as far as possible. Um, I think that we talk about this on the offensive side with, with runs getting forgotten about, right? Or RBIs, home runs, even stolen bases get talked about way more often than runs. And on the pitching side, for me, I, that's whip. Like you never hear talk, people talking about a whip. Like this guy has a good ERA. This guy can you know, give me a whole bunch of strikeouts. Have you found, like you said, you're focusing on good players and good pitchers. I get it. But is there a way to, have you found a way to like actually take advantage of the fact that there might be somebody out there that is going to help you in that one category? It's still categories, as much of a category as anything else. Or it, again, is whip just, you're going to get it where you get it. See, okay, whip, there's a lot less variance with whip because it depends on the type of pitchers. Ground ball pitchers occasionally, not occasionally, more often than not have higher whips than fly ball pitchers, where those fly ball pitchers might give up more home runs, be more prone to a higher bloated ERA. So it's like works in twofold where you might, the better pitcher might be the ground ball pitcher where he's inducing double plays and whatnot. But at the same time, with the shift being banned too now, or not banned, but limited, uh, they so might Joey Gallo, up. he just had the outfield oh, shift yeah. had him up today. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how often that occurs too. But overall, it's going to be interesting seeing how many dinky singles go through and affect those ground ball guys. But over year, whip is stickier than ER, way, way stickier than ERA because it is a, a testament to the type of pitcher someone is more so than fluke luck defense 
injuries or not injuries, sorry, home runs, which home runs are fluky for the most part, unless a pitcher is very extreme fly ball heavy and I guess throws it, throws meatballs and stuff. We have to talk about the act of streaming pitchers because it is a part of the game. Whether you do it or not, it's still happening. Your league mates are doing it if you're not doing it. And so what kind of risk are you willing to take when throughout the season when you're streaming pitchers and you need either you need the volume or you need those ratios what kind of a player are you targeting to stream when you are looking at those ratios are you looking at the guaranteed the relievers that you think could knock in three to five innings in the week and have a better shot of chipping away at that ERA and those whips or are you looking for the best starter that has the best opportunity against the worst team that is not going to hit them best starter against the best team in in that scenario because the again the best bet is the good player don't worry about bad players and good matchups I just I'm not going to be rostering Johnny Cueto anytime soon I'm sorry that's just not for me yeah my focus right now is when it comes to streaming try to get the two starts ideally because it mitigates the risk of a a random start with bad luck blowing up in your face and it gives you the opportunity to potentially get more Ks and two wins or two quality starts per se. So you maximize that opportunity per week, even though that second start could get blown up, it could limit the first start that gets blown up. When it comes to relievers, it's very hard to stream relievers. It is, I tried this last year in a league where I only had one closer and it blew up in my face. I kept picking up the wrong guy for saves or I kept getting the guy who got blown up in a week because again, pitching is very fluky. It is very hard to predict. So Getting the guy who you can maximize throughout a week, who you know is going to throw the most amount of innings, a.k.a. that two-start pitcher, who you want the most talented two-start pitcher. You don't want to just go... You want to get gombered. Yep. Yeah, you sure. don't want to get gombered, exactly. So going after that, it's obviously somewhat subjective to say the best, or yeah, the best guy, because that can mean different things to everybody. But I look for just who via peripherals or whatever has put up the best numbers over the past year or so or like mid-season who's having the best season. Even if the matchup's a little tougher than the next guy, I'll go with the better pitcher. Unless, of course, it's like at Coors or at Great American Ballpark, where those are like the only two places. Those are the two parks I'd stray away from. Maybe Yankee Stadium. Got to stay away from yeah Yankee Stadium. Not to mention you're going up against a powerhouse offense as on top of having the short porch and just the batter-friendly field. Yeah, something that Kevin and I have been preaching, and I say I'll stream the reliever, especially when I'm trying to strip going to get go after my ratios as long as I know as long as I feel they're going to get the volume to actually do damage and when I say that it's like I'll look for the middle relief the middle reliever who hasn't pitched all weekend so that I know or I feel confident that they're going to come in on Monday or Tuesday and have more opportunity throughout the week to come in and not just get two or three innings hopefully they can get all the way up to five or six which is the equivalent of a start and they're just doing it in smaller increments it's still going to add up to the same yes that gives them more opportunity to get blown up and to your point you still got to be focusing on the good players the good pitchers and i'm not going to be throwing guy out there just because i think they're going to get volume but then again the good pitchers 
are the ones that, that in, the, in bullpens are usually the ones that are going to get the volumes from their major league teams as well. So I have that going for me as well. At least I have the major league teams looking out for my best interest <laughs> in that way. All right. We, I know we're going to be looking at ratios throughout the course of the season, but we you really got to start looking at every single category from the start. So we're going to talk about a couple of players that we might be looking at with our final draft pick with our first week's worth of fab that can fill the gap, fill the holes in our rotations that can help or at least chip away, give us a good starting spot in going into the 2023 season. But before we do that, we do have to take another quick break. All right, we're back, Kevin. Let's get right into it. I asked you to take a look at the ADP board of online championships over the last month and take a look at players that were going past pick 325. So these are guys that are going in the last two or three rounds, if at all, that could possibly help you in your rate pitching ratio categories, your ERA, your whip in the first week or two. Maybe you hold on to them longer than that. But really my personal focus on here was guys that I'm going to build that I think are going to get a start in that first four day week before the we split, turn over to the second fab period or could line up for two starts. They're, really, they're decent pitchers. They're going to get you volume and they can cut into that cut into the those ratios for you. So I'm going to let you start it off here. I asked you for two starting pitchers and one relief pitcher that could chip away those ratios. Who are you looking at? First off, Jose Quintana. He's going after pick 350, I believe, in drafts. He's been pretty late. And he's not this... Oh, he's going after 325. Excuse me. He's around 327. And mo- for the most part, he might get two starts against the Miami Marlins to start the season. And then that third start against the Oakland A's. So schedule lines up very well, very favorably. That's reason number one. Reason number two is... I guess getting signed by the Mets is as favorable as you can do because that's a, a top two pitchers park in the MLB. So even if, uh, let's say, he cruises through those first three starts and you're like, I don't know if I should drop him, just know his home park is amazing. Like Taiwan Walker, who isn't a great stuff pitcher, maybe back in the day it was prior to all those injuries, but now he had a fantastic season with the Mets and he should have been blown up several times. So Jose Quintana, even though he isn't, the most talented guy now. He has reinvented himself over the past year or so after his not-so-great era with the Cubs. And Pirates signed him, fixed him, Cardinals got him. He was fantastic for the most part last year. And I expect somewhere between a 3.5, 3.80 for him this year. But ideally, you're getting him for these first two, three starts. I don't. I expect maybe he'll get one blow-up, but out of those three starts, you should get a guy who's typically going deep into games, pitch, pitching on a good team with a good defense and good home park that you can hold for the rest of the year if maybe he even advances past his his reinvention last year. So I like Jose Quintana. Yeah, it's nice to have somebody on the podcast besides Kevin wax poetically about Jose Quintana. So I'm glad that I saw you put his name on, on, on the rundown here. Yeah, the beginning of the schedule for him, he's the only lefty in that rotation for the Mets. He should get one of those first four starts, I think, against Miami. So I think that what you said lines up perfectly. That's something you have to be looking at, especially for these late round flyers that... These are guys that you want to draft people that you want to actually play. Yes, you can throw your darts, you can get your stashes, and you're like, hopefully Brandon Fott makes the rotation or he gets called up early. I can stash him for a couple of weeks or whatever. But a guy like Quintana, you want to know that if you're going to draft this guy, I want to be able to play him. He, Jose Quintana is not the type of player that you stash. <laughs> Simple no. as that. <laughs> so as long as you know, you're go- if he didn't have this lineup, yes, 
it's nice that he's at the Mets. It's a good stadium, all that stuff you said. But if he didn't have the lineup options of where he's going to be playing against this early in the season, I don't think he makes this list. I think the fact that he has these matchups makes him much more viable in, in this scenario. And who knows? Like you said, he continued to do well. Like I said, he's the only lefty. He's not going to lose his job. And I can't believe you said that the Pirates fixed somebody. And that was amazing. <laughs> it's the new, it's their new GM. It's their new system. Like they've done really well. Even Mitch Keller. Like I know people joke on Mitch Keller, but they somewhat fixed him recently. Rowan's Contreras, I expect a good year from. Yeah, they're very much more analytically inclined now than they were in like the Huntington era. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll give them that. All right. So I'm going to give my two guys and I want you, I want to, I want your feedback on this because I think I made at least one terrible choice here and maybe one viable choice. And I want you to pick which one is which. Basically I went after, again, I'm looking for guys I think are going to start in that first week. So I went after the San Diego rotation. We talked about Joe Musgrove is not going to make his first couple starts of the season. That opens the door for Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo to be in the rotation in the starting five. Seth Lugo is not the guy I chose here. Nick Martinez is. And then the other option here is Michael Waka. Michael Waka, and I picked Michael Waka and I picked Nick Martinez for the very simple fact is that they're going to start in that first four game series that they have. And so I want to make sure that I have nine pitchers that are going to actually produce in that first week. Now, that being said, they also have Colorado on the road. That is not as appealing in the first series. I get that, as, as you might think, just because they're not coming from Colorado to play. They're coming from Arizona, which is a whole lot similar to San Diego in that respect. So they're not being affected by the altitude and then leaving the altitude and all that. It's still the Colorado lineup. I'm not scared of the Colorado lineup. I know Chris Bryant is tearing it up right now in spring training, but I'm not terribly concerned about that matchup. And whether even with, with Michael Walker's like end of season with the Red Sox last year, not looking that particularly great. The first, the first few weeks, April in, in, into, into May, didn't look half bad for him. And so if he's coming back in that same kind of groove out of spring training for the Padres, this could be an option to, I know we're talking about ratios here, but going up against Colorado, he could give you all four categories from this start. Nick Martinez has looked much better in spring training. Waka has not. I will give you that. I'm not even going to pull up the numbers. I just know that he's got a he's got 50, over 6 ERA. I think he's got 15 innings already. So they've been throwing him out there. He's not performed that well. It's early in spring training. It's over Reaction City. I totally get that. Nick Martinez is probably the one I would lean toward more. Just the fact that he's actually looked good. He was stretched out at the beginning of last season. So the any concerns I think that people might have about him transitioning from his reliever role into the starting role, something he really, he, he was very vocal about. He really wanted him and Seth Lugo said they signed with places because they wanted to sign somewhere that was going to let them start. I don't know how long both of them will start throughout the season, but at least Nick Martinez has already shown hey, yeah, I can go six, seven innings, at least in the start of the season. And that'll give him more opportunity to volume his way into better ratios, not to mention put himself in position for a win. I'm not worried about the strikeouts here. That's not what we're talking about. So if you were like, these are also two guys I think will get fabbed in the first fab period of the year, especially when the rotations are announced. If both of these guys are announced that they're going to be, let's just say they're going to start number three, number four, they're going to start Saturday and Sunday for the Padres. Are you fabbing either one of these guys just so you can get nine guys in your rotation to get you that volume? Or 
do these days not fit that mold that you're talking about? I only pick good players in good situations. They're definitely not bad players. Mike Walker has his history and he's he's had some bad luck in recent years outside of last year where he really picked it up and became that solid four starter, maybe three at best. But yeah, Martinez pitched two months to, as a starter. He was fine. He had a four-ish ERA. Peripherals were around that four range. So it's not, he wasn't pitching, overperforming, underperforming, whatever. So a match against the Rockies or, Car- not Cardinals, excuse me, Diamondbacks, yeah, that's fine. You could definitely stream. I think the Diamond Diamondbacks offense will be significantly better than last sure. year. Even pitching in Arizona is fine. My only issue with drafting them is you're only picking them up for that start because after that is at Braves, at Mets, mm-hmm. home versus Brewers, which is favorable. But then again, Braves, and then yeah, then it gets a lot easier with the Cardinals, Cubs, Giants, Reds, and uh, Reds at home, but not Great American, but. You're really only picking these guys up for one start. So that's the only issue I have with Waka and Martinez. But if you do, if you only want a guy, last pick, that you want to get as a streamer for that week, say you drafted class now somehow, whatever, yeah, they're fine. I like Waka and Martinez for that first start. Yeah, that that's a, I wouldn't even think about that way, but I like that in the leagues that you have an IL. If you drafted Musgrove, you're throwing him on your IL, you replace him with one of these guys that's going to get mm. his start. Yeah, I totally do not expect to have either one of these guys on my roster after the first, second fab period. Yeah. Simple as that. If they both get a start that opening weekend. Now, if one of them gets the start on Monday, maybe I hold on to them for that two-start week. But yeah, beyond that, I do not expect them on my roster after that. These are definitely streaming. They're streamer draft picks, which I think are completely viable. So you save yourself anywhere between five and $50 in fab in your first week. All right. Give me, won't you bunch these last two together for me, Kev, your second starter and then, and your reliever that you think might be able to chip away at your ratios in the early weeks of the season. Yeah. I know this one sounds gross, but Kyle Gibson Moving from the Phillies, which Citizens Bank is pretty hitter friendly, moving there to the Orioles, which a more neutral park in Citizens, not Citizens Bank, excuse me, Camden Yards, since they moved the walls back. First start, possibly either against the Red Sox in Boston or at Texas against the Rangers. Boston, what's it called? Fenway hasn't played as... Fenway hasn't played as hitter friendly since they installed the humidor. Texas's new park is uh, much more pitcher friendly than the old Globe Life where it was just home run central. So you get that and then possibly avoid the Yankees and then get the A's and then possibly the White Sox and then Nationals and then Tigers, Red Sox again, Tigers, Royals. So up until like early May, if you draft Kyle Gibson, you could have a slew of amazing starts. So this is just the kind of guy you could, uh, again, you're not really drafting Kyle Gibson for his upside, but he's a guy who could go five to seven innings consistently, give you potential wins, strikeouts. He's a K per nine kind of guy, or almost. And I think he got some bad luck last year. He's, he's still got some stuff in the tank. His peripherals are really solid. I mean, I, everybody chases Kyle Gibson every year for some reason. But yeah, he had a sub four XFIP last year. Sierra 4.06. I think the Orioles defense is solid, at least better than the Philly. Anything's better than the Phillies last year. Yeah, I'm in on early, early season. Kyle Gibson can be a very good starter for you for that first month or so. Opening day starter, Kyle Gibson. Oh, Probably. Look at their rotation. As much as we all want to see Grayson Rodriguez out there, I don't think he's got to earn his spot in the opening day roster. Never mind the opening day starter gigs. 
So yeah. That, sorry, he'd get so he'd get Boston, the Rangers, the A's, the White Sox, and then the Tigers. So and I like that. I like that a lot. I like those matchups enough where I'm. It's one of those things where I probably won't end up drafting or picking him up for that first start. But I'm hoping he gets shelled so that he gets dropped. So That's that right. I can make a bid on him for the remainder. That schedule you just you laid out there does look pretty nice. All right, where? Uh, what about your reliever? Where do you land on? I know that you, like you said, you don't stream the relievers, but I think that this is a valuable position to be to, that is untapped in a lot of leagues. Who would you be looking at that could chip away at those ratios? Okay, Giovanni Gallegos is the guy I'd look for ratios because I think Gallegos, outside of the issues with the pitch clock, because he is extremely slow. But Gallegos is going after pick 300. He's a fantastic pitcher, and he could wind up easily back in that closer role, given that he tr- they tried to mix him back in with Helsley. Beyond just Gallegos being a very talented pitcher, give you Ks, he gives you really... He, his whip outside of last year was sub 0.9 from 2019 to 2021. So he'll give you an immaculate whip. He's at full strength. I think he dealt with minor injury issues last year that kind of threw him off. Yes, ERA should be somewhere in the low threes as it's been, assuming he's at full strength and the pitch clock isn't as much of an issue a month from now. Yeah, give me Giovanni Gallegos going around pick 320 if I'm looking for a guy for ratios and potentially even getting me saves down the line because Helsley throws like 102. He could blow out his arm any given day. <laughs> yeah, St. Louis is not, Helsley only had what, 19 saves last year? Gallegos is going to get some saves. I love this call out here just because this is he's going to help you in three categories, especially as a late, especially in a twelve teamer where you're getting him in the last two rounds, and you can and you feel confident you would actually use him early on. You're actually gonna you're not this isn't a stash. This is the guy who actually can produce for you, which is what we're going for here. I like that call out a lot, and I think that like you said, anything can happen in that St. Louis. I don't think Kelsley is as Personally, I'm fa- I've been fading Helsley entire draft season just because yeah. it, it, it's not enough of a guarantee that he has that job to be getting him to be drafting him where he's being drafted. If I early on in draft season, I was going gung ho at solid closers that I knew had the job. I got burned by Liam Hendricks, unfortunately, in two spots, but mostly the Edwin Diaz's of the world, the Raziel Glaces of the world. I had no problem paying up for them. Now, as the as the season is getting closer. A couple of situations have gotten cloudier, but a couple have gotten a little bit clearer. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to get take my flyers down the line, and Gallegos is going to be one of them. My re, my relievers that I'm focusing on, I'm focusing on an entire bullpen, and that is the Tampa okay. Bay bullpen. And the main reason for that is exactly what you talked about with Jose Quintana, what you talked about with Kyle Gibson's schedule, and that is the Tampa schedule to start the season. The first three series they have against Detroit, at Washington, and then against the A's. And Jason Adam could be in the very same situation as Gallegos, where he is stealing saves from Pete Fairbanks, who I think a lot of people are just assuming has the job. We all know what Tampa's history is. And Tampa has had history, granted, of giving a guy 40 saves in the season. So that can happen. But Fairbanks has not been the pinnacle of health himself. And Adam is going to be right there as the, the C2, if you will. But I'm also point out the other another lefty in that bullpen Garrett Clevenger he finished the season after coming back to the team with 18 and a third innings he had 13 appearances struck out 25 he walked just four this is a guy who the three teams I said not only are they poor lineups 
but they're pretty lefty heavy as well in those lineups. And so these lefties, I think, are going to get plenty of work in the first three series of the season. And these guys are going to get work in the first that first week that we have in the NFBC before Sunday. And I think they're going to get plenty of innings in the second week as well. So I'll be looking at who's the best reliever available at the end of drafts, whether I'm in a 12 team or 15 teamer, just to fill some innings. And these guys have this strong possibility of going, especially Clevenger, who, like I said, went 18 in the third with 13 appearances. So he's going plenty with two innings, over two innings worth pieces of work in his appearances as well. So can help me in that category a little bit more with a little bit more volume that you would see out of a reliever. Not to mention that early on in the season, starters still aren't ready to go five, six, seven innings right off the bat. So I think a lot, there's going to be a lot more work for this for bullpens across baseball in April, especially in the first two weeks of the season. So keep an eye out for the best relievers out there that are going to get the volume early on just because out of necessity, teams aren't stretching out their starters as, as long as they're not in midseason form. So there's going to be more opportunity for them to get in there. Absolutely. I like those two. Jason Adam, another guy who could be a sneaky reliever, sneaky closer, and not even sneaky because there's only, what, two guys in there like <laughs> Pete Fairbanks. I love Pete Fairbanks. I think he's amazing, but he cannot stay on the field. So yeah, Adam's fantastic. You had Minter, you had Clevenger. These are all very good. Again, just draft the good players, figure it out later. <laughs> it's very early in the season. It's not the end of the world. Focus on talent. Don't worry about the situation. Yeah, I love it. We don't need any more advice. You guys can turn us off now. That's the best yeah. advice you're going to get anywhere. No, seriously. Oh, that's all <laughs> fantasy sports is. People worry about the nitty gritty of how many for a fantasy wide receiver, how many targets per game with this quarterback, blah, blah, blah. No, just if they're good, draft them. If they're on a good, okay, good players on good teams. There that's go. number one. First and foremost, all you want in fantasy is a good player on a good team. And then you knocked a next level down is good player. That's it. Those Who's are gonna- the only two. Those are the only two criteria you should have at every single moment. I add something to that and just the fact that you want a good player on a good team that's giving the good player opportunity to play. We went through this with Kyle Tucker early on in his career. When he, One, they weren't calling him up. And then when they did call him up, he wasn't playing every day. And then when he was playing every day, he was playing. He was batting sixth in the order instead of second in the order. And even so, let me interject real quick. People, everybody complained about Kyle Tucker preseason last year. Oh, he's going to hit sixth in the order. Yeah, he hit sixth and had 107 he did RBI, he did. 20, sure. <laughs> 25 stolen bases and 30 home runs, which he had 30 home runs the year prior as well. So yeah, his average was lower, but overall, you still got a fantastic, you still got a fantastic player so we worry about these things that we should not be giving a single crap about and overblow it when Kyle Tucker's an amazing player he's a first round pick a top six I got him plenty places I'm not arguing that fact I'm drafting him wherever I can (laughs) yeah and I'm not he could hit sixth all year if he wants to I don't care I got a good player a very good player on a very good team it like we don't have to care about all these other details Someone gets hurt at the top of the lineup, they could slot him right in. There's nine slots in a lineup. This is for the sake of offense, at least. Nine slots in a lineup. An injury could happen to any one of those nine. That bench player you're drafting, assuming they're a good player, can slot into one of those nine spots. It doesn't have to be anyone specific, given how versatile players are, how athletic they are, and whatnot. So, obviously, unless they're like pitchers or catchers, that's like the only two overall. Sorry for the rant, but it pisses me off every time I hear, oh, lineup slot, oh, playtime, oh, this or that. Are they good? Are they good? Yes, draft them. Are they on a good team and they're good? Draft and reach for them. There you go. I really, I like this mentality during a draft. 
you're I think you're absolutely yeah. right during a draft. In season, there's a lot more nuance. Yeah, and, yeah, excuse yeah. excuse yeah. me. Obviously, if they're not playing, that's a that's a different <laughs> It doesn't yeah. matter how good they are. <laughs> yeah. They're triple A. Yeah, I'm not picking up the triple A guy, even though I think he's better than the major league guy. Okay, yeah. Obviously, Let's there's some nuance. That. That's all. There's some nuance here. <laughs> that's good. That takes the place of Kevin's normal situation where he comes in with his final thoughts. I think this is Kev's final thoughts. I think that works really well. I appreciate that. It's for every fantasy sport. Baseball, basketball, <laughs> hockey, golf. I don't care. Good players on golf, you're not on a team, but you get my point. Good players on good teams, Finn. That's it. End of podcast. All right, Kev, after all that, man, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you let everybody, remind everybody where they can follow you. And besides the podcast, if you've got anything else in the works, as the season gets a little bit closer, what they should be keeping an eye out for. Yeah, obviously, Roto Surgeon on Twitter. Make sure to go follow me. That is my stream of consciousness. That is where I brain dump all of my fantasy thoughts, sports thoughts, pop culture, doesn't matter. My Twitter is basically a, a little door inside my mind, which not everybody wants to enter, but I understand. <laughs> Roto Baller is where I write. That is where my fantasy sports writing goes. It's a fantastic website full of great analysts, great writers. I will be keeping up with pieces. I have some best ball pieces that came out on the premium content. I use promo code Kev at checkout for those discounts and whatnot. Best ball dynasty pickups I like, whatnot. And then the game day for, I'm working on a lot of mock drafts right now, NFL like real life, this is outside of fantasy. So NFL mock drafts and NBA mock drafts and whatnot. So keep an eye out for that on the game day. And the operating room is the podcast. Make sure to check it out. It's available on Spotify, podca- Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are available. Adam, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's, a, it's a shame we couldn't have Kevin on here to talk as well. But his birthday, again, happy birthday to him. And hopefully I get to talk to him soon. Yeah, that, thank you much for uh, for coming on, man. This has been more than a pleasure. Yeah, if you're not following Kevin, make sure you are doing that at Rota Surgeon, listening to the operating room. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 105 of On the Wire. And I'm, after all that, man, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. And we bid you goodbye.